Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Heading into week 18 of the NFL season, Will Gavin uh, alongside Simon Clancy, feature editor for Gridiron, and uh, Mike McQuaid is with us as well, the main man for uh, for all of our online stuff, our videos, our production. Delighted to have you involved as well. He's a football head in his own right. Uh, gents, how are you all doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been a, a weird and, and difficult week for the NFL. I think that's fair to say, and I think everyone is feeling that right now. And, and look, obviously, it's been a story, uh, Damar Hamlin, that has been covered very heavily over here in the UK. It has raised a huge amount of interest, and in, you know what is certainly my day job and our day jobs as well as as what we do with with Gridiron and. Yeah, I I think there are a huge amount of things we could sit here and and say and discuss about the Hamlin situation that we could go into. You know what happened on the night itself, the the NFL response, the very important conversations that are being had right now in in a very intelligent and smart way. People like Dominique Foxworth and people talking about the vested in the vested nature of NFL contracts and the health care given afterwards and, and what the, the role of the NFLPA and, and all of that stuff. But I think it's part of me that feels like like right now that feels all a bit clumsy. It feels like other people are having that conversation in a very smart and, and important way. And I would direct you towards all that content on social media and Mina Kimes podcast and, and that sort of thing. I just think from a, a personal perspective, we were all up watching that game on, on Monday night. You know, we all stayed up. I don't know if anyone else had the intention to go the full distance, but if it had been a good game, that was certainly my plan. And, and you know, six minutes into the first quarter, it was setting up to be a doozy. And then one of the most terrifying things I've, I've probably ever seen in sport happens. And, you know, you immediately have flashbacks too for Fabrice Mwamba. I was, I was working on that day at talk sport and, and to Christian Eriksen similarly. And, you know, it, there is, you see the reactions of the likes of Stefan Diggs of Josh Allen, you see the way that the coaches responded and yeah, it is for a sport that we all love and adore and follow and, and cover. It, it's a day where you kind of everything really comes into perspective. We know that it is an incredibly violent sport, and it is a sport where these players put their their bodies on the line. But you never necessarily expect that to be a life on the line, particularly at this point in in time with medical advances and with you know the the uh, the safety rules that have changed. But it just reminds you that it can can happen, and yeah, we just hopeful that Demar Hamlin does pull through. There have been very positive signs in recent days, and. Yeah, I know that it was a very visceral response from, from everyone in this group on Monday night, Tuesday morning. Yeah, I was just glad, like you said, we were all three of us were together virtually. We have a WhatsApp group and, um, you know, we were just messaging each other in, in real time as it was happening, as, as it was unfolding. And I think it was nice to have the company in a way. It was sort of good to share what we were seeing because, like you say, I was at the BBC editor editor in charge when Fabrice Moamba collapsed and brought back a lot of memories there and it was yeah it was it was terrifying it was very frightening and I think it was most frightening when you went to the first commercial came back and you saw it but then you saw the reaction of the players that you mentioned Josh Allen holding his face Stefan Diggs crying Tredavis White in in absolute you know torture of crying and and those sorts of things and I think that's what you know, brought it home. And, and then when Joe Buck said that he was undergoing CPR, I think that was, you know, 
that's when he really knew that, wow, the game that we all love might be about to change forever and probably has changed forever anyway. But certainly, you know, if a 24-year-old had died on the field in the biggest game of the season, you know, that would have, you know, changed the game we love forever. And I don't know what you think, Mike, but it was just uh, just nice for us three to be together and just be able to go, you know, uh, it's weird after after nine eleven. I was I was at Radio Four and I was the first program back on air after news for nine eleven. And one of the guests I used to produce midweek on Radio Four, and one of the guests said, "You know, all I wanted to do was just hug somebody that I knew after spending the day watching it." And in a weird way, it sort of felt like that as well. And I think the three of us just were, were able to sort of, uh, as twee as it sounds, were able to just you know provide virtual hugs for each other. And I know I didn't go to sleep until you know, I went to bed about four. I, I don't think I fell asleep for about another hour just because you're replaying it and thinking, God, you know, this guy's fighting for his life. And it was it was difficult, Mike. Wasn't it? it was a difficult night. It was really, really difficult. I think you've summed it up excellently there, lads. Like, obviously, that to, to be able to have the opportunity to chat to you boys at two thirty in the morning when it's it's dark outside and and you, and you just don't know what's going to happen and what's going on. It was just um, it's hard to put into words the 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 emotion I guess that that we felt, but it's completely irrelevant to to the emotion that I guess the the Buffalo Bills players, staff, the Cincinnati Bengals team that were on that field as well at the time, and um, it's just. Just an awful, awful moment, and you know, I have to—I can't imagine what it what it's like working um, on 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 media. One thing and, and having to sort of bring people through that for the guts of forty-five minutes to an hour on on Monday night, Tuesday morning our time, but more so, just hats go off to the medical uh, workers both on the field and and, and the hospital in Cincinnati for the work that they've done on on the field and the work that they continue to do, and um, prayers. Are, are with Damar and his family and obviously with the, the Buffalo Bills organization football is uh, completely secondary when it comes like when it comes to this and please God we don't see something like this ever again it's it's just not nice to see it all and it's been a very very weird week because of it I think coming back to that original point as well again there are very important conversations that need to be had off the back of this about player welfare and not just in the moment you know this is Similarly, if you're a fan of of any sport where these guys are putting their body on the line, whether it be, you know, people who love combat sports, people that love rugby, people that love anything like this, you, you know, there is a, an assumed potential risk. But as much as there are those conversations are happening, what has been really heartening is to see the football community pull together, to see the wider community pull together, to see just how much of a brotherhood you know, playing is. You know, someone like Zach Taylor, who is someone that we have eviscerated many times on this show for his play calling, for his tactical nows, for whatever else it might be, to see that he's clearly a very good human being and, and see the way that he's responded with his players and, and similarly with Sean McDermott. Like, all that stuff is is so heartwarming. And to see just like... I, I know, you know, Simon is uh, as big a kind of draft nick and, and college football guy as anyone I know. But the, for me, the, be- the best parts of the draft and the best parts of watching these young men fulfill these dreams is, you know, seeing these guys who come from very difficult backgrounds, who have these phenomenal stories, 
who you just want to root for because they're great human beings. And the more and more of that stuff that came out about Damar Hamlin over the recent days, and obviously there's been a big focus on his toy drive raising $6 million, and, and that's great that people have put money into that, but it's just what clearly a, a, a great human being, a great teammate he is. And, and you know, that all just puts that kind of human element even more into perspective. And I, I do, you know, the NFL has, as any walk of life does, some some bad people in there. And, you know, I'm sure we can identify some of those if we desperately wanted to. But it is stark what the percentage of, of people that are just good, intelligent, uh, you know, empathetic, warm human beings there are. And, and he certainly seems to be one of them. And, and yeah, I absolutely have loved seeing all of that side of it as much as, you know, there's a darker side to this. So... Yeah, there's a lot of positivity, I think, to take out of it. And as long as you know, the outcome is what we hope it will be medically, then I think that, you know, it's, it's actually there's some heartwarming stuff that's happened over mm. recent days. You talk about the toy drive as well. I think it's it was fascinating to see the, the, the list of names of donors of people that had given money from around the NFL. You know, you're talking about Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Robert Kraft, the New England Patriots. Devontae Adams, Matthew Stafford, Andy Dalton, Clayton Fedulum, Mackay Beckton. There were you know, players from all across the NFL who donated money to this toy drive. And you just think that's the community of the league pulling together. You saw, you know, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow embracing each other and standing together. And, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you want to see. And for as much as you get the, you know, you get the, the confrontations on the field, you get the back and forth, you get what we saw, and, and it was great, but you, you, the competitiveness that you, that comes with a Jair Alexander against a Justin Jefferson, for example, last weekend, but, you know, these players know what they're putting themselves in for. They understand, but they also understand that, and, and it's strange, you know, I've been at practices before when players have been injured, you know, pre, in, in training camp when players have been injured and, and they literally you know, move the business of football onto another field and the injured player is left behind to, to deal with what's going on with the medical staff. And that could be as serious as a broken leg or a broken ankle or an ACL. And, you know, you hear it all the time, players saying it's a business, it's a business, it's a business. And they, you know, they don't go into this with their eyes closed. There is an understanding that, you know, you are literally putting your life on the line. You only have to look at the, the issue with concussion and, and those sorts of things to know that. But it doesn't make it any easier. And it certainly didn't make it any easier for those players, those coaches and those fans. You know, you feel for people like T Higgins and what, you know, the mental stain that he's going to be left with in terms of, you know, did I, did I cause this? Was this my fault? All those sorts of things. So, and just to see that, that, that community pulling together and, uh, and making sure that everybody kind of comes with, you know, is looked after is, is something that we can only applaud, I think. Well, I, I, uh, obviously our, our thoughts are with, uh, uh, with Damar Hamlin, with his family, with everyone involved in this and, it's so clumsy to speculate on what will happen now, not from from his perspective, but from the perspective of, of what the league will do. There are so many, there are so many variances being thrown out there. So many different ways of approaching this. You know, had this been at, uh, some of the meaningless Monday night football games that that uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have had to commentate on over the past 18 weeks, then maybe this would be a lot cleaner. But the fact that it did happen in probably the biggest regular season game of the back end of the season does have huge implications and obviously huge implications on the conversations we're going to have and 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 on the the rest of the season going forward you know increasingly it feels like 
this is getting delayed to a point where there's going to have to be a drastic solution, um, whether that is a cancellation of the game, a forcing of a tie and acceptance of seeding, or whether that is a, a delay of the playoffs and there's talks of bye weeks and moving things around. This is going to have huge, wide-ranging football impact as well. And and we should be looking forward to Week 18. So let, let's focus on the football because, you know, come... Sunday, it's it's going to be a bizarre day of of covering those games. We're actually normally in that window where uh, on the the radio show I work on, we would normally do round the ground games. We are going to we're going to do the Bills Patriots game, not only because it's a huge game, but obviously because it is going to be such a big moment, and we were going to the comms team as early as possible and really wanting to get that feel of of that stadium live. It, you know. Uh, on the AFC side, like we say, it is very messy, but there are three or four very clear situations we need to talk about. You were saying earlier, Simon, that's the, the I guess the concern with that Bills-Patriots game is if they do play it, and that is still an if at this point as we record on Thursday morning, how do they emotionally respond to what's happened? What about the players who have made the decision to stay behind and, and stay in Cincinnati? Are they going to join back up with the team? I know Cincinnati got back together for the first time yesterday, practiced, you know, had media availability. Their game with the Ravens was confirmed as going ahead at 6pm on Sunday. But yeah, I I think from a footballing perspective, there's just no way of predicting how that game could go. The Bills should be smashing the Patriots and saving us from having to watch New England in the postseason this year. And yet, Lord knows how that's going to play out in any way on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. And, and from a completely selfish point of view, you know, I'm a fan of the Miami Dolphins and the Dolphins need the Bills to beat the Patriots for the Dolphins to get into the playoffs. And, you know, you don't know how that's going to play out. And and you, what you do know is that I think, you know, this word's been used a lot this week, but unprecedented. I think there'll be an unprecedented level of emotion um, in Buffalo on Sunday. Um, from the fans, I think you'll probably see players in tears in the warm-ups or, you know, before the before the game, especially if that amazing Buffalo crowd kind of get involved, which they they always do, they will be loud and they will be um, supportive. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Let's hope there's some good Demar news before then, and you know that you just wonder how much the wave of emotion will will carry the players through. Will it carry them through the game or will it just get to a point where it's been such an emotional week that as soon as the game starts, they just hit a wall and, and, and maybe the Patriots end up winning by 20, 25 points just because of the, we just don't know. And, you know, there's obviously a competitive, you know, that, that, yeah, it, it, it's unlikely, but let's say Tennessee and and the Titans tie, then they are also looking at that game for, you know, to see how they get into the playoffs. So, um, you know there are ramifications based on it, and you know you, you know the Bills players will be uh, as focused as they possibly can be. You know the coaching staff will be as focused as they possibly can be. But Mike, how can you how can you possibly be focused to play an NFL game five days after watching one of your teammates receive CPR to keep him alive right in front of you, right in front of you, essentially in your own office? How do you how do you countenance that? How do you turn that into something good and you know and also the bills need to win because I, i'm sure you know beyond the the injury they, they would like to play their games at home and, it, and in many ways playing all their games at home throughout the playoffs is a representation of uh, of being able to continue to support demar and doing it in your own stadium and and hopefully he's able to to come home during the uh, that playoff run <coughs> excuse me and and you know who knows you know he might hopefully be available to 
to come out onto the field before the AFC Championship game or something, you know, something that would be fantastic to see. But you know, you'd love to see that at you know in Buffalo. So there is a competitive issue as we head into this week, Mike, isn't there? But you also understand that emotions prevail in these situations. It's really intriguing because you've got one side, obviously, the Patriots trying to get into the playoffs. For me, the Bills, if the Bills get home field advantage throughout the playoffs now, however likely or unlikely it is, I have them going to Arizona. I think they're not going to be beaten in Buffalo, and I think that is key for them. And yes, outside of everything that's happened, Bills fans will, will want to have that. If they had won on Monday night, they would have been number one seed going into week 18. And that is their thing. And, and I guess we can talk about that in the, in the days and weeks that, that pursue here. Um, for me, it's all about community. Um, you, you look at Bills Mafia, the Bills fans praying and coming together as a community outside the stadium on Tuesday. The Kelly family as well. I fully agree there's, there's going to be an un- unbelievable amount of emotion involved in that game uh, beforehand and during and after. Something tells me the crowd in Buffalo is going to get them through it. I don't know what it is. If it's the, if it's the support, if it's the screaming, if it's the emotional, mental support from everybody on the sideline, I, I just feel that they're going to win that game for tomorrow and Sunday. And I, I, I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout in any way, shape, or form, but I, I feel that the crowd will get them over the line, and, and then that does, you know, obviously at the time of recording, as you said, well, it's it, it's a Thursday morning. We don't know what's happening with that Bengals game, um, if that is rearranged. But I, I, I do have the Bills winning on Sunday so I'm sure the Dolphins fans will be very happy to hear that and um, I think it'll be very very emotional it'll be something that we that we watch back on in, in years to come and um, hopefully it's a good game on Sunday I I, I know the Bills have been started to go through certain walkthroughs on, on Wednesday so hopefully they can get some sort of normality back into their prep this week I am um... I look elsewhere in that kind of AFC race, that that Bengals-Ravens game in itself, huge for the seeding, but also, you know, the AFC North still very much on the line in that situation also will be, you know, I, I think that the results from this weekend are going to have an impact as well on whether, how they make a decision going forward. Maybe they feel they need to make a decision before Sunday, but, you know, knowing what the outcome, knowing what the effect of that Bills, uh, that Bills, uh, Bengals game could have on the playoffs. I think we'll have a decision. Look, we get we have those games on Saturday, of course. You mentioned Jags Titans. Derek Henry back in practice this week, and there's a cat invading my camera as I say this. Uh, <laughs> if you can edit that out, I'll do do it again. But if not, don't worry about it. Um, you know there is that kind of question mark over. So Jags Titans on Saturday. Uh, Derek Henry back in practice, but you know Josh Dobbs likely starting, and the Jaguars emerging as a real force. And, and for me, I look at them and I look at the Chargers right now, uh, Mike, and I think to myself, those are a couple of teams who, with impressive wins this weekend and, and the right playoff seeding, have got a real chance to go and go and act as spoilers on wild card games whenever those should happen. So we talk about the NFL, but have you ever experienced the NFL in its natural state, live and in person in America, surrounded by tens of thousands of screaming partisan fans after spending hours beforehand in the car park outside the stadium, enjoying a cold beer, maybe one or two, as the smell of barbecue and tailgate food wafts deliciously through the air. If not, or if you have, and you fancy doing it again, well, Touchdown Trips 
folks are the experts in creating amazing travel packages for your favorite NFL team. And when we say amazing, we mean it. The guys and the girls at Touchdown Trips put fans first and are passionate. The fans who book with them get a proper, unforgettable, and more importantly, a unique NFL experience. You don't just get tickets, but an authentic pre-game tailgate with local fans. College fan? You want to go to a college game? Stadium tour? Why not? As well as all that, they include flights from across the UK, they've got fantastic hotels, and anything else you may want to add, such as an NBA game, or an NHL game, or a local excursion, to create truly bespoke packages that are more importantly, at all protected, and ABTA bonded. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season or next and just want to get in touch, give the team at Touchdown Trips a shout today at touchdowntrips.com. Check them out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash touchdown trips or Twitter at touchdown trips. Touchdown Trips, you have to see it to believe it. Yeah, I'll j- just jump in the Jaguars. Like, I mean, obviously, basically a playoff game on Saturday night in the bank even though it's not the playoffs yet winning you're in um you've said the two words there that make me think that jacksonville are going to run this game josh dobbs i don't see how josh dobbs goes into jacksonville outside of derrick henry and gets the ball down the field to the point where jacksonville do not put up 30 to 40 points and and, and lose the game I, I i i've got jacksonville winning this and honestly lads i think it could be over by the middle of the second quarter which i know if we're all sitting at in the UK and in Europe at two or three in the morning, that, that could be a good thing. I, I think the, the emergence now of, of, of Travis Eddy and the run game with, with with Trevor Lawrence and the wide receiver quarter he has, never mind the defense, will honestly render this game done by halftime. And I, I could be done for this on Sunday morning by saying this, but I don't see the Titans winning this. I'd be intrigued to hear your thoughts, lads, ahead of next week with the Titans and whatever, you know, whatever additional changes would have to be made in Tennessee if they don't make the playoffs, especially in the division that they're in. Obviously, the GM went out. Uh, I love Mike Rabel. It's a really, really intriguing time in that division. But for me, I've got the Jaguars winning this game comfortably. I've got the Jaguars going on a run for the next two weeks. And let's see how they get on in the playoffs. But it's a really, really exciting time to be a Jaguars fan. It's a hell of a team they have there. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Uh, with the Titans, first of all, I, I don't think that Mike Vrabel's in trouble. I, I think he retains his job. I think he's a great head coach. I would be worried if I was Shane Bowen and, and Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinators or the senior defensive assistant that Schwartz is, um, because, you know, whilst there's, you know, there, there are obvious issues on the offense uh, with the injury to Ryan Tannehill and the sort of slow development of Malik Willis. There's kind of not so many excuses defensively in terms of what's happened. I think there's a number of reasons why Jacksonville will win. I think the biggest reason is Trevor Lawrence. You know, he has clearly made the year two leap and it didn't look like he was going to early, and certainly in London. You know, you looked and thought, God, is this going to happen for this guy? You know, so talented coming out of high school, coming out of Clemson. But, you know, largest improvement in passer rating of any qualified quarterback from last season, largest jump from year one to year two by number one overall pick since Terry Bradshaw in 1970. Uh, you know, this was a team that was two and six. And, you know, Lawrence has hit his stride, turned it around, highest passer rating in the NFL among quarterbacks with 200 pass attempts. Um and just showcasing the arm talent, you know, you, you, you've seen a number of throws, you know, from the the wide side of the field into tight coverage. You know, the, these are the toughest throws of the, you know, that a quarterback can make, and he's making them routinely. Um, you know, seventy percent of his passes are in one interception. I think over the last two months, which is which is phenomenal, and he's getting a lot of help. You know, you mentioned Travis Etienne, but also you know, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, 
Evan Ingram, who's had a you know sort of career revitalization after what happened in, with the Giants. But I would not want to face the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs. They can get to the quarterback on defense. They've got a, a budding star in Tyson Campbell at cornerback. They've got good linebackers. They can they can run the ball and they can certainly pass it. So you know, and, and kudos to Doug Peterson as well because he's you know. That would not have been a good ship, Will, to, to jump into the the remnants of the Urban Meyer boat would not be, you know, for, for everybody. And I think he's done a tremendous job in turning it around. And you look at that two and six record and you think that was probably dealing with the remnants of the Urban Meyer tenure as much as anything else. So, But no, I think a comfortable Jaguars win, not a team I'd want to play in the playoffs. It's interesting. Uh, I there, I still think the one area of the Jaguars' defense that can be exploit can be exploited is if you've got uh, a strong and well-run run game, and therefore Derrick Henry does make a big difference to me and keeps this game a little tighter if he's in and he's at full strength. Uh, it's it's interesting that you mentioned because of the injuries on the offensive side of the ball, particularly. I mean, the line has been decimated all year long. It sounds like Todd Downing's already out the door, like based on reports that are coming out this week. And certainly Titans fans get frustrated that even though they've had those injuries, the play calling, I mean, t- consistently taking Derrick Henry off the field on third and short seems just bizarre to me. And yet it's something he's doing with with extreme regularity at the moment. So like I, said, I think Vrabel, as a, as a leader of men, as a, as a head coach who has developed this team over the last few years and turned them into a perennial contender will certainly keep his job but I suspect there will be a bit of a cleaning house below him and and yeah I, and much like you guys I'm expecting a Jaguars win similarly in the earlier game as much as you know we saw Jarrett Stidham giving two fingers to everyone in New England with his performance for the Raiders this this past weekend you know traded for a sixth round pick never given a real opportunity there and playing, yeah, probably the best debut we saw all season from any position. Um, I, I can't see the, the the Chiefs going in there and not picking up a win with the one seed on the line. Uh, I just, I, I feel like those two Saturday games. I find Raiders Chiefs an odd pick. I know that it's kind of two exciting teams. The Raiders have just put up a really good performance, but even prior to everything that happened in Cincinnati on Monday, it just seemed odd to put the Chiefs on on Saturday night to me. I thought it would be something a bit more standalone. They've kind of given us that with Packers-Lions on Sunday night. I know that the Seahawks result will affect it. I know that if the Seahawks beat the Rams, an improving Rams team, but still not a good Rams team, that that means the Lions are already out of contention. But I just, I think I said this last week, but I don't see a world where even if the playoffs is off the plate by the time you get to that game at Lambeau Field on on Sunday night, that Dan Campbell doesn't have that team still as fired up as anyone could possibly be. And the Lions don't go in there going, right, we might not make it ourselves, but a winning record in a year where no one expected it, coming from a point where they similarly they were one and six to start the season, to go into Lambeau and prevent our great rivals from going to the playoffs. If you don't think that's motivation enough to get that team up for it, then I, I, I think that's gonna that, that'll get them. It's not as the same as going to the playoffs, but I think it'll get them to a pretty similar level, Simon. Yeah, uh, agreed. I mean, I, I don't think I can add to that. Will I just one hundred percent agree? I think it's. I think you've nailed it. I think you've nailed it. I think you have to ask questions about Aaron Rodgers. If the if the Packers don't win on Sunday night. What is Monday morning going to be like in Green Bay? Because everyone's going to start talking, and talking, and talking. I, I, I just don't see a scenario where they don't win, mate. I know, I know. But could you imagine if they didn't? 
just I, yeah. I absolutely see a scenario where they don't win. <laughs> this season's been weird as anything, and the Lions have been barring that Panthers performance very good. And actually against the Bears, I saw that opening drive where Justin Fields ran all over them and, and that side of the ball was looking like it was going to struggle again. I thought, Lord, are we in for another bizarre weekend? Has has Aaron Glenn's defense really fallen off? And yeah, the Bears aren't good. Not like the Packers are, but they completely shut them down after that. They looked great on offense again. I think the Lions are good enough to act as spoilers. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. And look, there's one of us on this podcast that chose the Lions as a, as a wild card team. Uh, I want to boast. But I just why, think, why did I set you up for that? I, I don't know, even man. know. <laughs> like, I know. I just think Green Bay have just, you know, they're, they're starting to put it together on defense. Uh, you know, the last three or four weeks, Joe Barry has changed things up. And you saw that. Um, certainly with the way they bracketed um, Justin Jefferson and shut down that Vikings defense, they're, they're getting players healthy offensively. It feels like the receivers are beginning to, you know, gel now after a while with with Aaron Rodgers. Robert Tonyan's back and feeling healthier. David Bakhtiari's back and playing more snaps. Look, this is a team that can run the ball. They've got a back-to-back MVP quarterback. They've got talent at wide receiver. They've got talent at tight end. They've got an excellent offensive line. They've got an excellent defensive line. They've got linebackers who can cover, and they've got a really good secondary, and they can play special teams in terms of the kicking game. And in Keyshawn Nixon, they've got the most dangerous special teams return man in, in football. And one of the most dangerous players we've seen, you know, over the last few years in terms of his ability to return the ball. So, you know, and they've been there before. So they can get to important... Um, moments in games and not shrink like a team that's never been there before. So I think the Packers will beat the Lions and I don't think necessarily, you know, Green Bay are a team you want to see coming into your city first round of the playoffs. I know, Will, that will almost certainly be your 49ers and I think your 49ers will win. But, you know, there are other teams that, are, you know, if, if I'm if I'm Kyle Shanahan and that 49ers team, I'd much rather be playing Detroit than than thinking, look, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who's still got it He's been a bit inconsistent this year, but he's still got it and he's coming into town. This is not going to be an easy game. It's. I, I looked down the rest of the NFC this weekend and I, I essentially, with those playoff contenders, of one through one through five, barring the Buccaneers, who are already locked into position. I just basically don't see anyone losing that game and, and ruining the seeding as it is. You know, the Vikings should beat the Bears handily, regardless of how poor they were last weekend. The 49ers are facing a Cardinals team who we already know are starting David Blau and have no DeAndre Hopkins this weekend. And, you know, are arguably already the worst team in football before that was revealed. Um, the, the, I'd be stunned if the Eagles lose to the Giants, considering the Giants know they're in the sixth seed. And the one thing the Giants are, as, as well as Dable's had them coached up this year, is they're not a deep squad. So I imagine they rest as well. Uh, it does tee us up for whatever happens in that seven seed, a really... Great wildcard weekend in the NFC. You know, uh, Giants-Vikings is a fascinating game considering the way that Dayball's coaching that team. You can absolutely imagine them going into Minnesota and getting a victory. Cowboys-Bucks, I feel like, is destined to be Sunday night football. It's just NFC East team against Tom Brady in the playoffs, winning a 19th division title, yada, yada, yada. And then I actually think any of Seahawks, Lions or Packers going to San Francisco is, is a... Is a fun game, but but Packers 49ers is the most intriguing. Maybe Lions 49ers is more fun, but Packers 49ers. I mean, the idea that they've gone on this absolute tear to sneak into the playoffs when no one gave them a chance, and now they go up against the team who have perennially tortured them in the playoffs in the Aaron Rodgers era, certainly for the last 11 years. That's a, that, that's a good set of games in the NFC. 
I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this weekend, and I really do feel as if there is a shock coming this weekend that will alter Who do you everything. think? What's the, what's the shock? <laughs> I think the Packers lose on Sunday. Do you? I don't know. Yeah, I do. I just, I've got a feeling. Like, I mean, I watched the game on Christmas Day, and it was just so obvious that was going to happen last week against Minnesota, where Minnesota completely fell apart, and Rodgers finds his second gear and finally somehow does his Odell, his, his best Odell Beckham impression and turns up, you know, properly in week 17 or week, week 16 of the season. Something tells me, regardless of what happens in Seattle, Dan Campbell's going to go into Green Bay and just. Do you not think the ramifications if if Green Bay do lose might be um you know volcanic in terms of what happens to that team? You know, is that a situation where Brian Gutenkunst and, and, and Mark Murphy then suddenly think, you know what, we didn't make the playoffs? We've got a lot of young players. Is it time to move Aaron Rodgers on because we've got Jordan Love here in the wings? Who look good coming off the bench against Philadelphia, and and it's kind of now or never really with Love. We're gonna you've got to play him at some point, right? And maybe we trade Aaron Rodgers, and that starts a, you know, that starts a, a big old ball rolling down a hill where, you know, Aaron Rodgers ends up in Las Vegas or he ends up in Indianapolis or somewhere that needs a quarterback, and you know, there's just this huge trade, and you see the three-time MVP, Super Bowl champion on the move finally for the first time in his career and <clears throat> the Jordan Love era begins in in Wisconsin it it could it could easily happen if if they don't make the playoffs i mean it will be stunning if that is what happens um to go if you go from 4 and 8 to 8 and 9 uh, and you miss out based on the last week of the season when no At one home. gave you a chance yeah i i mean yeah that's 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 pretty rough i i the my only problem with the packers losing on sunday and i do i do think there is an opportunity for that to happen is i, I have a fear that as much as the end of this season has been from a footballing perspective kind of putting the other stuff to a side has been excellent and actually the seventh seed as someone who is a big doubter in seven teams in the playoff has thrown up some really fun week 18 matchups. If that happens, the two teams who probably sneak into the seventh seed are the Patriots and Seahawks. Neither of those are playoff worthy teams. Both of them are incredibly boring at this point. Both of them are sneaking in. And I think both of them would probably be decimated in the first round of the playoffs. That's not what I want to see. I think that, you know, the Dolphins maybe is a struggle unless they do get that bye week if the playoffs get moved around. But, but at, at least, least it'll be entertaining. More, at least it'll be entertaining, exactly. I think the Steelers with that defense would be more fun and more likely to throw up a, a potential upset. I just think Seahawks, the only thing going for them is the, the kind of division rival nature. Yadda, yadda, yadda. But I just don't, yeah. Don't buy it. Don't like it. Something's going to happen, man. Something's going to happen. Man. <laughs> remember the Colts game last year in, in Week 18. Yeah. Remember, nobody gave the Jags a chance, and it, it just happened. You never know. It will be interesting because, you know, and going back to what we talked about at the top of the program, it, emotion won't just be um, won't just be in Buffalo. I, I, I think there'll be emotion around the league. I think, mm. be, you know, you only have to listen to, to, to the press conferences of players across the league yesterday, Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee on on Tuesday, different players talking, different players tweeting, you know, that had a huge effect because every single one of them knows that it could have been them. Um, so I think there will be emotion um, and plenty of it, not just in Buffalo on Sunday. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating. It'll be a fascinating final weekend to see what happens. 
Agreed. Um, look, uh, there will be plenty of uh, football focus across the the socials on Sunday at Gridiron on Twitter at UK Gridiron and Instagram as well. It's you know. <laughs> A lot will depend on what happens over the coming days, and we hope that by the time we get to Sunday, as Simon said earlier, we've had some really positive Demar Hamlin news. You know, it's it's etching towards more positive at the moment, but yeah, we we don't know if and if Sunday can become a celebration of football again, as much as the emotion will be high. If we know that that young man has, has survived and and will have a quality of life beyond this, then I think that will set us up for a brilliant week eighteen. It. Yeah, it's going to be odd trying to watch football again. I think that uh, I can't remember who. I think it was actually Ryan Clark who was so good on on Monday night. Mm-hmm. By the way, alongside Scott Van Pelt on on Sports Center, I, 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 Scott Van Pelt for me is in a conversation for the best sports broadcaster in the world. Anyway, uh, he was phenomenal on Monday night. Um, but I think he said, you know, the first snap of football is going to be one of the most terrifying for everyone watching. I do think that Chiefs Raiders game, when it comes to, you want to talk about that kind of charged atmosphere and that emotion, I think everyone watching that is going to be feeling that wherever they are in the world. But hopefully we get a real enjoyable weekend of football where we can remember why we love this sport so much and really positive news that leads us into that. And yeah, we'll be across it all and we'll have podcasts and social media posts. So keep keep on following us, keep on engaging and being involved. Love to hear from you. And let me say this, football has, has shown its community side over over the past week or so. And, and we love the kind of community that we get and the people that, that get in touch with us and have fun with us on social, etc. Even the Bengals fans, we love you still also. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening, getting engaged, getting involved uh, and uh, and for listening and watching and, and all that great stuff. Just really a quick one before you wrap up, Willie, the announcement yeah. last night of the... Um... Hall of Fame, class of 23. Oh, blimey, have we not um, talked about that? Modern it's a, era it, finalist, I thought was a, just interesting. Sorry, just to cut, your, cut your, your wonderful finish off, but I did think it was an interesting list of players that, that, that made as the modern era finalists. Uh, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. It's something we probably should have brought up. And actually, I have to say, as much as we'll look at the snubs list, you know, uh, <laughs> there, there are a couple of players that I go, well, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. How are they not even finalists? Hmm. To pick five from that group that are there. So for you listening, if you don't know, it's Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Dwight Freeney, first time Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Albert Lewis, Darrell Revis, first time, Joe Thomas, first time, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, and Darren Woodson. I mean, you could literally pick any of those names and, and make a pretty significant case that they should I, be. Honestly, if, th- throw them into a hat and take five yeah. names out and it's a Hall of Fame worthy class. Absolutely. There's, there's nobody in there that makes me go, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't think they've got much of a chance this year. Like, that is... I mean, you un- just pick a name. Unreal. Albert Lewis, one of the great man-to-man corners in, you know, certainly when I grew up watching the game of, of that generation, the 80s and 90s, Devin Hester, the greatest return man of all time, Zach Thomas, you know, one of the great fifth-round draft picks, one of the great stories of all time, just a tremendous linebacker, seven-time All-Pro, Reggie Wayne, that, you know, him and Marvin Harrison, Batman and Robin to, you know, to, to, to Peyton Manning, Patrick Willis, a modern-day great at linebacker. I mean, literally... You know, it's it's impossible to pick somebody that, that shouldn't be in that, that shouldn't make the Hall of Fame. I'm yeah, yeah. Broncos had on, said Demarcus Ware. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the thing. I think for me, like the one thing that makes me think that there are some people in there that may not make it. The the glut of wide receivers. I don't think they end up putting three. I don't think they end up putting two or three in there. So you'd have to say, you know. Poor Tory Holt probably misses out again with the other names that are there, even though I do think he should be going to the Hall of Fame. Like the linebackers, you mentioned Zach Thomas, Patrick Willis, both brilliant players, you know, multiple All-Pros, multiple multiple Pro Bowlers, best at their position in their era. But are they going to get in over to Marcus Ware with all his sexy sack numbers and that final Super Bowl run and everything else that went with that? Yeah, there, there are, I think there are, you could make, you could definitely pick people who are more likely to get in. I'm just saying that, Give me any of those five, and I think it'll be a great. Give class. us a um, both of you. Give us a five. Who you? Who would you take? Oh, mate, that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what the do you know what the worst thing is with this? I think that the the thing that we you, the the thing that I got killed for most when we talked about it when the fir- when the group first came out as I was talking about players is not giving Devin Hester love. Like, yeah, I would have put him. I would have gone Freeney, Hester, Revis, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas. I would go Joe Thomas, Revis, Johnson, Hester, and Ware. Nice person. Well, let's all put let's all put our guy in then. I'll take Zach Thomas and Demarcus Ware out and put Patrick Willis in. There we go. We've all got one Homer pick and and for, and a consensus four sorted. Uh, <laughs> uh, brilliant. That was absolutely valid to bring it up, Simon. No worries at all. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, for engaging, and for uh, and for getting involved in all of the content across the Gridiron channels. We really appreciate it. We love you very much. Thank you very much for listening to the Gridiron Show.